Well, this morning I want to speak about what we typically do during holiday seasons. It typically revolves around food. So the question is, are you hungry this morning? And I know that's probably a, a dangerous thing to talk about around 11.30, going on 12 o'clock here. It's not that late already, by the way. But we start talking about food this time of day, and, and, and I hope your attention span will stay with me here. Uh, because we're going to be talking about food quite a bit. We're going to talk about our appetites this morning. Because coming into the season of holidays, of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so forth, that we focus the holidays around food. And quite honestly, the holidays wouldn't be the same without food, would they? Could you imagine having Thanksgiving dinner without Thanksgiving fe- uh, uh, turkey? Could you imagine going to somebody's house for Christmas and not having Christmas cookies and food? No, we just do. That's the way we celebrate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some may feel a little bit um, more about that than others. Um, but I, am, I, I was just intrigued by the area of appetite and the area of being hungry uh, this past week. And I'm just wondering what that means to us spiritually. A- am I hungry? Am I hungry spiritually like I am physically? Now, what I find is that when I'm physically hungry, a person that is hungry is easily satisfied. Whereas a person that doesn't have an appetite or isn't hungry, no matter how good the food is, they're very difficult, near impossible to satisfy with food. Hunger is a necessity of satisfaction. And when I'm physically hungry, man, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich sounds really, really good. It doesn't have to be a T-bone steak. When I'm hungry, I'm easily satisfied. And man, that really got me thinking about my spiritual life. So the question this morning is, is are you hungry or not? Are you hungry? Once tonight we watched a video from Francis Chan, Chan, Francis Chan, titled Lukewarm and Loving It. Anybody, who was there Wednesday night and were you at all challenged by that video? If you weren't challenged by it, then you're not alive. <laughs> lukewarm, and, uh, lukewarm and Loving It. And, and um, that night... I wasn't there because I was um, down with my daughter, but believe me, I watched that video a few times, and every time I watched it, I was challenged in my life. Do you feel you're better off today, for those that were there, that listened to that video, do you think you're better off today because you were challenged to measure your spiritual temperature? Do you feel that you're better off today because you were there Wednesday night talking about being lukewarm? versus hot or cold. This morning, I want to continue on that vein of thinking a little bit here. And, and even though we're not going to watch that video, which probably would be a very good video to watch on a Sunday morning too, but I, I pray that we'll go down that same road of personal evaluation in our lives and asking us the question, are we hot, are we cold, or are we lukewarm? Are we spiritually hungry is another way of asking that same question. And maybe you're trying to figure that out. What does it mean, and what does it look like to be hungry spiritually? What does it mean? Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does it mean to be spiritually hungry? That's a good question, quite honestly. Does it mean that we have to be weird? 
Does it mean that we have to do something or don't do something? Is it, do, we, do we reach a certain level of Christian, when we get to a certain level of Christian maturity that we know when we're hungry or how we are to act when we're hungry? Uh, just some really good questions about that. But yet, I believe there are some things, maybe you're having a difficult time trying to think about that. So as we go through the service this morning in this discussion, I would just pray that the Lord would just give us some way to measure our temperature, to measure our spiritual thermometer. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're getting at a topic here of personal evaluation, and so sometimes that would be considered meddling. And Father, I don't want to be accused of meddling. I just want to ask some questions that we would all listen to and take serious and evaluate in our life. So Father, I pray that you would just uh, be alive in the service today and, and just come and just give us your words of encouragement, your words of instruction, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You can turn to your Bible or you can look on the screen. We have them both. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is a very interesting passage. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let's stop there for a minute. What is he talking about? What does it mean to throw off everything that hinders? Hinders what? Could it be hindering my spiritual hunger, possibly? It says throw off everything that hinders. Wow. See, it says throw off everything that hinders and the sin. What hinders, is it sinful? Can there be good things in life that are not sinful, but yet that hinder me from maintaining spiritual hunger? Can we, be, can we become so preoccupied and so busy with the good things in our life that we're hindered from God's presence? It makes me think a little bit here. I don't know about you, but I've heard it said, and I think I can experience it in my own life, that when I was first saved, man, I was on fire for God. I was on fire. I mean, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. When I first got baptized, when I was 12 years old in the Holy Spirit, man, that was awesome. When I had that experience, when I had that experience or this experience or whatever, but let me ask the question, how does a life that was once so on fire for God find themselves drying up or dried up and not hungry for God like it was at the beginning? Am I speaking truth here? Can you see this at all in your life? Maybe some time when you were really, really hungry for God and maybe some times where you weren't so hungry for God? Maybe you're at a life, a point in time right now where you really are hungry for God, and amen, and maybe not. 
Revelation 2.4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Wow. By forsaking the first love, I think we can take that to mean that we've lost our spiritual hunger and that we're satisfied with being a Christian by name only. Wow, I know, getting kind of personal here. What do you think about that? Can a person be a Christian by name only? Can we? Is it possible that a person can lose their passion and hunger for a continued fellowship with Jesus and settle for for just being a Christian? It appears that it might happen. It could be that way. Let's go back and look at verse 2 and 3 of that same passage in Revelations chapter 2. Verse 2 says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. There is nothing bad here that Jesus is talking to that church about. And then he goes right into verse 4 that we just read, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. It seems to me here that this church is exactly what Hebrews chapter 1 was talking about, where they need to throw off everything that hinders, because they haven't done anything sinful here, but yet they've lost, they've walked away from their first love. They've walked away from their hunger for God. How did this happen? How does this happen in lives of people? That we can be so hungry one day and over a period of time we just kind of dry up and say, ah, I'm not being fed anymore. How did this church and how do people today lose their appetite, lose their spiritual first love? Well, let me suggest some ways possibly that might happen. Number one, one day at a time. One little step at a time. I don't think we go from a spiritually on fire for God one day and then the next day dried up like a prune. I don't think it happens overnight. I think it happens because I take one little choice at a time, one little indulgence at a time, one little compromise at a time that it didn't really impact my spiritual temperature at all. That one thing. And I'd go through the next day, the next day, the next day. It's a period of time that we become spiritually impoverished. We don't lose it typically at one time. By, by allowing the good things to slowly fade out of our lives do we begin to dry up. By allowing the good things to get busier in our lives, we begin to dry up. By allowing the good things in life to get so busy around us that they're good. It's all godly. It's all good. We're working in the church. We're doing all good things. But sometimes we get so busy that we don't protect the kernel of that first love. And all of a sudden, I find myself spiritually dry. It's very busy, very productive. But spiritually, I'm, I'm a prune because I haven't protected, I haven't watered that seed in a long time. 
Becoming spiritually impoverished takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. No more than a person becomes physically malnutritioned overnight. A person can skip a few meals and not feel the difference. In fact, I probably could skip a few and probably be better off for it. My wife's looking down. She's not saying anything because she knows I'm right. And she, I'm surprised you didn't say amen. Where were you? I gave you a great opportunity. But the point is, is that we don't malnutrition ourselves overnight. And we don't spiritually malnutrition ourselves overnight at all. So the point to coming to church and being around Christian brothers and sisters is to help us maintain this spiritual appetite and hunger for more of God and, and hopefully not allow those hindrances to overwhelm us. Coming around brothers and sisters that would maybe speak into your life. See, this is where we need to allow people to judge us a little bit. I wasn't planning on going here, but I think I need to, just for a minute, just for a minute. Because if I walked up to Scott, and I'm gonna, I'll pick up Scott because he was walking in late. But <laughs> if, I, if I walked up to Scott and said, Scott, I, you're, you're just amazing to me. You know, I just am so thrilled by what's going on in your life. You know. See, exactly. We take that as a compliment and we say, thank you. But if I walked up to Scott and I said, Scott, I see some things in your life that are, you seem to be pretty busy. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, you've, you haven't been doing some of these things and I'm just concerned for you. You know, the first thing that comes to your mind is, yeah, whatever, dude. What's well, the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, wait, 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 who are you to judge me? But in all honesty, didn't I judge you the first time too? Didn't I come to you and say, Scott, I, you're doing great. And if you were consistent in that, why, who are you to judge me? Why didn't you stop me then and say, wait, who are you to judge me? No, see, when we're told the things that make us feel good, we don't mind being judged. But if a brother or sister in Christ comes up to you because they have, because they have your best interest in mind and they say, you know, you, I, I, you're on my heart. First of all, you're on my heart. That's a, that's a good sign that something's good's coming. But, you know, I'm missing you in places. I'm missing you in Bible study. I'm missing you here. I'm missing you there. We should say, thank you. Somebody cares enough about me to say they miss me. That's a good thing. That's how we maintain hunger is when people we trust come into our heart and have enough boldness and have enough confidence in our relationship to say some things that are true in love. Amen? Francis Chan spoke about this on Wednesday night. Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know how you want to define that any more than a hawk and a spit. Because that's all it is. It is just going down and God is saying, uh, you are so detestable to me that I am not going to even bother thinking about it. I'm just going to spit you out because you are not hot nor cold. Lukewarm. A person that is lukewarm is like the person that is not hungry. Nothing tastes good to him, and he is very difficult to please. A hungry person is easily satisfied. 
a full person or a lukewarm person is near to impossible to satisfy. As a leader or pastor of this church, it's constantly my responsibility to be reviewing and taking the spiritual temperature of the church. And it's easy to make that review process to be about looking for that feel-good message and keeping everybody happy and everybody liking me. But when I pray and ask God for his thoughts, and when I pray about God for his menu for the church, you know, it's amazing how that never comes up. He doesn't say to me, Mike, preach a good message so that they like you. He never gives me that instruction. I wish he would. Seriously. I would much rather be able to preach a message to you that you walk out every Sunday and say, man, he's a great preacher because he tells me what I want to hear. I would feel so much better about myself. But when I ask God, really, he, he's, he, he's consistently stressing on me, it's not the flavor of the week that's important. It's more about me preparing a healthy and a well-balanced meal of truth in the gravy of love. A message that is not necessarily easy to prepare, nor is it easy to give, nor is it easy to hear, but it's the truth of God's word that would maintain a spiritual diet of health and strength and not just emphasizing the desserts and the sweets. I'm going to tell my wife, and she tells me never to talk about her, but when we talk, when she, she will eat her dessert first. Sometimes she goes for the pumpkin pie before the turkey. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I know, because sometimes our palate is more wanting that more time. But, but you know, if that's all we ate, though, we wouldn't be very healthy. And you can tell by looking at my wife that she eats more than desserts. In fact, she doesn't eat very much of them at all. But God has given us the ability and he's given us the heart that we would listen to his voice. And when he gives us a word for me, for you, or you, for a, a member of the body, that as we're obedient to listen to that, that we're going to speak the truth of God's word that may or may not be really um, pleasing, but it can be gentle, kind, and stern, and truth, and love, right? We have to be able to receive that. If we're going to have a healthy and satisfied household, I have some responsibilities as a pastor, so my responsibility is to provide a good menu. My responsibility is to study God's word, listen to his voice, make sure that I'm getting what he wants me to speak this week, to lead us and to continue to guide us down the right roads because we're getting in closer to the end of time and we are getting to the time when times are harder and harder to hear the truth of God's word in the, in the clutter and, and hustle of all the world around us. So my job is to, is to cipher that out. What is your responsibility? Do you have any responsibilities in this mix? If we're to have a healthy and satisfied church, we need to be like a healthy and satisfied home. Moms, you know how important it is that if you're going to feed your children a healthy meal, that they must avoid unhealthy junk food before mealtime. You don't necessarily allow your kids to eat Cheetos and Doritos and Snickers before a good, healthy meal, do you? You work hard, moms, preparing a good, healthy diet for your family, and the last thing you want to do is give your children, allow your children to fill up on junk food before they come to the plate. Because if they come to the table not full, are they going to eat? No, they're not. 
They're going to be full of junk. They're not going to eat all the good things that you prepared for them. Likewise, as a church member, if you're going to have an appetite for godly food, if you're going to have an appetite for good worship, if you're going to have an appetite to hear what God's going to say to you that day, you have to protect yourself from worldly junk food so that when you come into the house of God, you're hungry. That you don't come in full of junk. You don't come in already full. No, you come in hungry. You come in anticipating, what's God going to give me today? What's he going to feed me today? So the question is, as a church member or an attender, are you coming to church in the right way? Why are you coming to church? Are you coming to be entertained and to be fed sweets and so get fed on indulgences of yourself because it's all about you? Or are you coming to feed on spiritual food? Are you coming to be fed on the life of others that are in fellowship with God? Are you coming maybe to feed into the life of another person that they need to be fed into that day? Are you coming to be nourished with, with God's word? Why are you coming to church? It's really important that we make evaluation of this. If we're going to be healthy, you need to, I need to do my part, and you need to do your part. Because one without the other is not going to balance. It's not going to work. Are we coming in hungry, or are we so satisfied with the blessings of life that we're coming already filled up with the junk food of this world, and so church is now more about being entertained and not spiritually fed? That's a big question. Something we need to chew on a little bit. And then, if that's the way you're coming in, and when you're not entertained, what happens? You become critical. You become um, wanting to pick it apart. A hungry person is easily satisfied. A person that isn't hungry is a critiquer. A person that isn't hungry comes in looking to say, how can I pick it apart? A person that's not hungry is not easily satisfied. If I'm going to keep myself physically nourished, naturally I get hungry. Naturally our body, as our food digests in our stomach, where there's this little man inside of us that says, fill it up again. It wants more. And that's a natural process of, of hunger Unless we're, not, unless we're sick. And that's different than spiritually because spiritually, we don't gravitate towards getting spiritually hungry. I'll just tell you right now, we don't. Our spirit man has to be maintained. Our spirit life has to be maintained because naturally our spirit man will drift away from God. D.A. Carson, you might, require, you might remember this quote. I, I I used a few weeks ago, but I want to use it again because it's really good. D.A. Carson says this on spiritual appetite. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness and prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. See, the, the, the natural man, we will justify a lot of things in our life because we don't like to hear the truth. 
So if we're going to maintain a spiritual hunger and ultimately become spiritually nutritioned, we're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to make it intentional in your life to say, I am going to maintain my appetite spiritually. Because if a person doesn't do that, they can die spiritually, malnutritioned, even in the prosperity and the bounty of all God's blessings around us. See, it's like a person with an eating disorder going into a banquet hall that's full of good food and not being able to eat it. Now, the problem isn't with the food. The problem is in the person. And I don't want to make light of people with eating disorders because that's a serious condition, and I'm not saying that lightly. But it's really a good analogy here spiritually because um, if I do not look at myself as responsible for my own appetite, then I'm spiritually disillusioned and I'm spiritually hampered and I'm spiritually hindered when I don't take my own responsibility for my own hunger. I am the only one that can control my appetite that way. So if I have a spiritual eating disorder, people may come week after week to church. You may come and be very regular in church, but if there's a spiritual eating disorder and if you're not able to partake in spiritually what's being said, if you're, if you're putting up a wall of resistance to what God's trying to tell you, if you're trying to say good word for him, good word for her, but I'm okay, I don't need it, then are you getting any nourishment? No, you're deflecting it. You're not eating it. You're not absorbing it. You're not digesting it. And a, peop- a person with a spiritual eating disorder, ultimately they will leave malnutritioned week after week after week and they don't even know it. They get weaker and weaker in their spirit, man, which means that they, in their weakness, typically they get more defensive because a weak person becomes a defensive person. A weak person, you've heard the saying, hurting people hurt people? Yeah. A, a weak person spiritually becomes defensive in their spirit. They get very critical in their nature. They've lost their confidence in their own self, so now they have to, they have to deflect everything. They have to reflect it to somebody else or not take, associ- or not take uh, responsibility for it because they're too weak to do that. So uh, it, it promotes fear and a defensive attitude, and these are the type of people that would come into a church every Sunday, and they become critical of the music. It's too loud. It's too fast, too slow. Or the preaching. Or they get critical of the way some other people worship. They get critical in their heart because rather than being hungry and filling up for God's word on themselves, they're, they're deflecting it because they're too weak and they become critical and fearful and defensive. And that's a dangerous place to be. In all honesty, that is one of the most, if not, that is the most serious illness known to mankind. Spiritual starvation is more serious than physical starvation because when you die spiritually, you die eternally. And you have lasting effects that go forever and ever and ever. And you may not even know it until it's too late. That's why you have to come in and be a part of Bible-believing churches that treat, preach God's word and that you associate with the, with the people in that church and you allow them to speak truth into your life and you welcome that. You welcome a good, solid word of correction. You welcome it because it's good for you. I know that's just a hard topic, and many times it's a taboo topic. Many times we don't talk about it. 
Because when you start talking about a person's spiritual life, it becomes very personal and it becomes not my business to talk about your spiritual life. Well, if I love you, if you love somebody else, if you saw him walking in front of a truck, would you holler at him? If you see him getting ready to fall off a cliff, would you say, hey, stop, there's a cliff? If you love him, A hungry person is easily satisfied and finds themselves thankful for the nutrition they can find rather than picking through everything and looking for the choice morsels, looking for the low-hanging fruit. Now, a, a hungry person, they choose to receive in the hard teachings the meat that's on the bone. And they choose to take that and chew on it. Rather than be offended by it, they'll say, yeah, oh, man, that hurt. Got me right here. But he'll chew on it. He said, I want to get that meat off that bone. I want to find out what's there for me. See, a person that receives a hard teaching that way, they don't need the hard word to be ground up into a paste that they can just gum and swallow. No, they chew on it. They, they think about it. They dwell on it. They appreciate it. They aren't expecting to come in to be hand-fed and pampered. They're not easily offended. They know how to separate the good food from the bad food and are able to feed themselves. Yeah, that's important. They know what their condition was before, and they know what it would be like after if they didn't continue to feed themselves spiritually. On the other hand, a spiritually starved person's condition is revealed in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Same passage we just read about. This, the next verse. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. A spiritually poor person doesn't see themselves that way. This person sees themselves as rich, not needing anything, and that's the entire problem because they don't see their true condition. Their reliance is on themselves and what they have rather than on God and what they need. Wow. God sees them differently than we see ourselves. I could see myself as rich, and God says, you're poor. I can see myself as clothed, and God says, you're naked. I could see myself as not needing anything, and God says, you have nothing. At the end of the day, who's going to be right? God. So what, doesn't it just make sense if, that we just stop the shell game here? That we just say it for what it is and say, God, I don't want to be poor, naked, or blind, or pitiful. I want to be clothed spiritually. I want to be fed spiritually. I want to have the assurance, and I want to have all of the nutrition that you have for me spiritually. So therefore, I'm going to receive it. As Francis Chan said Wednesday night, he says, because we live in a very affluent culture, when was the last time you woke up in the morning and were depending on God to provide your breakfast? When was the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, I don't have any money for lunch today. God, I don't have any clothes in my closet. When was the last time, and because of that, 
that we're at a severe disadvantage on what it, know, what it means to depend on God because we don't have to depend on God for the things that sustains us. Think about that for a minute. I've never, personally, I have never had to depend on God for my livelihood. Now that sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? But in reality, have you? Have we ever really been so destitute that we didn't have anything unless God provided it? Wow. This hits me right between the eyes and hits me right in the heart because that is the most difficult person to get to when a person is a, a, a self-reliant and self-able to sustain themselves. How does that person get themselves into a, a total dependence on God? How do we do that? 1 John chapter 2. Now here's what I want to say, first of all. I am not telling you that a poor person is more spiritual than a rich person. I am not glamorizing poverty. I am not saying that you have to give away everything. I'm not saying that a person on Skid Row is better than a person that's got a Cadillac. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm trying to do is get us to understand the question, how do I have a dependence on God when I don't need to? How do I do that? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but comes from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The way that you learn how to depend on God is your choice to depend on God. And I could say, thank the Lord that we don't have physical persecution in our country that takes away all of our freedoms. Because there are many people that have had that happen and they have learned the hard way how to depend on God because they've been persecuted to the point where they haven't had anything and that's all they had. So here it is, guys. We don't have to go through that, thank the Lord, but that doesn't give us a buy on not needing to be that dependent on the Lord. We still need to be that dependent on Him even if we don't have to be. And that's where Francis Chan says we are at a severe disadvantage because we live in such an affluent society that we don't need to have that. But yet... If I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord, I have to have that. I have to be that way. I have to say, God, you have to get more and I have to get less. I have to get that way. And the only way we do that is through my choices and your choices. Maintaining a spiritual appetite and a hunger for the things of God will ultimately nourish our lives so that we will have eternal life. And then the question the question's been asked, and here it is, how do we maintain the emotional fire that I had when I was first saved? How do you maintain that? How do you go back and get it if you've lost it? Huh. Well, let me tell you the best way I know how, and that is just keep on loving Jesus every day. <laughs> you just keep on making a choice every day. I'm going to keep on practicing what it means to be spirit-filled, whether I feel like it or not. I'm just going to practice speaking in my heavenly prayer language, like I, whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to practice reading my Bible and praying whether I feel like it or not. 
I'm not going to let my feelings direct and lead my life because my feelings will direct my lead my life away from God because the natural man, we are still in a battle with our flesh. We are to take up our cross every day and crucify our flesh. That means we are to take control of our flesh and we are to make the choices that we would lead our flesh to death so that our spiritual man would live. When I allow my feelings to feed the, feed the flesh, then don't be surprised when you're spiritually poor. Don't be surprised when you come into church negative. When you come into a setting where we can have vertical worship and you don't enter in or you can't enter in. Because why? Because you fed the flesh all week. Because you haven't, take, you haven't made the choices to stay in your word. You haven't made the choices to pray. You haven't made the choice to keep God on the throne. You haven't kept him at the center point of your life. Now listen. I know how difficult this is. I'm not oblivious to what this means. Remember, I spent more time sitting in the pew next to you than I have preaching up here. So I know what it's like to be busy. I know what it's like to be in the business world. I know what it's like to have the pressures of that. And I know it's hard, but I know it can be done. And I know you can do it, and I know many of you are doing it. I would encourage you to keep doing it. I was in a pastor's conference this week. I know how easy it is to sit and listen to some really good preaching, get all fired up, and by the time I get home, I have a hard time finding the notes, let alone staying on fire for God. Because I know how quickly, how, how the enemy will just come in and, and, and just take the normalcy of life and just suck the life out of it. So we have to choose every day. We have to choose every day that we can listen to God. Jackie, if you would come and help me get wound down here. Let me, let me tell you, you are going to make mistakes. Can I just say that? We're going to make mistakes, no question about it. But God understands. God understands when you mess up. He understands it. Like we said at the very beginning of service today, if we've messed up and you feel guilty over it, that's okay. But that doesn't change God's character. It doesn't change who God is. When you get home this afternoon, would you read Matt, uh, Psalms chapter 51? I'm not going to read it right now because of time, but I would have you go home and read Psalms 51. This is David's prayer after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet over his adultery with Bathsheba. This is the, this is the contrite heart that David had, and this is the kind of heart that you and I must have, that we must maintain if we're going to maintain a spiritual hunger. Verse 17 of that verse, of that passage says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, please do not despise. You will not despise a broken heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I like the word, I like the word Beatitudes for a minute here, because here it is. Beatitude. Larry, can you bring that down just a little bit? I like the word beatitude because let's break it down this way. Be attitude. Be attitude, what I want you to be. Be attitude, positive. Be attitude, hungry. Be attitude, on fire for God. Be attitude, what I'm commanding you to be because I'm in charge of my attitudes. I'm not in charge of yours. I'm in charge of mine. Nobody can rob me of my hunger or force me to be hungry. 
See, I have to take control of my attitude. I have to say that for what it is. I can't blame it on anybody or anything because it's my attitude. So be attitude godly. And I need to allow God every day to come in and examine my heart. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in a way of everlasting. That's what I need to do. I need to ask God, search me today, Father. Be attitude, a godly person. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we come into this holiday season of food and celebration, thank you. First of all, thank you that we have food. Thank you that we can be filled up physically. But God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be spiritually in tune with what it means to be spiritually hungry. That we would control our appetite spiritually. That we would not allow it to become dull. That we would not allow it to be full of worldly junk food. That when we come into church, we're so full of everything else that we don't have time or we're not hungry for you spiritually. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would examine our hearts today. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Know us, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in us or any, any junk way in us. And clean us, Lord, and fill us with your love and your mercy and your grace. And I pray, Lord, as we go throughout this day, as we go to our homes this afternoon, that we would chew on the meat today of this message. That we would remember it, that we would not forget it as soon as we walk out the door, but we would chew on what it means to stay hungry. What does it mean to stay on fire for Jesus? What does it mean to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life every day and to practice it every day? Inspire us, lead us, guide us, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great Thanksgiving. Bless, have fun with your family. In Jesus' name, have a great day. Amen. More love.